Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 9 this morning. This being Mother's Day, I wanted to take a break in our studies of Luke and bring you a message that I've titled, A Mom's Priority. A Mom's Priority. And we're actually going to use what we learn here today and this morning and apply it back in Luke 12 when we get back there in a couple of weeks. But what I don't want for you to do this morning is you fathers to sit back and relax too much this morning. I certainly don't want you to throw any elbows into the sides of your spouses, and I certainly don't want you to lean over into your spouse's ear and say, honey, did you hear that? Because you're not off the hook as well. And if you're not a parent this morning, I want to give you some things to sort of think about and consider before you actually do become a parent. And if you're a kid this morning, I don't want you to sit back and be at ease as well, because today there's something in here for you also. So if you're thinking this is just a fluffy Mother's Day sermon uh, for moms, it is, but it's not. So I want to begin straight away by reading our text together, if we could, starting in verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1. So if you're there with me, I want to invite you to stand, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 and nine, through 9. rather. God's inspired, inerrant word says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your holy word. Lord, let us treasure it. Let us write it on the tablets of our heart so that we will not sin against you. As we listen this morning, Lord, help us to be attentive and apply these things diligently and not just be merely hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. God, this we pray in the name of your holy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If we were to examine the modern family today, it wouldn't take us too long and be too difficult for us to understand that it's really in a state of turmoil and crisis. All the signs are clearly around us, and there should be little to no doubt what has been and still is constantly under attack, and that is the family. It doesn't take us too long to even get through Genesis, and we see that. But books and articles are being written about uh, in our modern era and propagated as truth from those who are in the so-called scholastic arena as the ones who know and truly understand the family the best. And it's them that should ultimately give us the verdict as to whether even the family should continue in our society. One such author, she had three college degrees, one of which came from the prestigious Oxford University. She wrote in her book, quote, The family must go because it oppresses and enslaves women. Now, granted, this lady was married for 20 years, and she said she had some uh, bisexual affairs during that time in some of her later works, but for the sake of women's freedom and autonomy, she declares that the family must die off. T. Grace Atkinson, who was one of the earliest leaders in the 1970s of the National Organization for Women, she said that their agenda was to eliminate all sex, all marriage, all motherhood, 
and all love. She later broke away from now and she started her own organization called The Feminists, which died off, but she did not feel that the National Organization of Women was being too assertive enough in their demands for feminine freedom. Another leader of now, her name was Sheila Cronin, she said this, quote, Since marriage constitutes slavery for women, now that's quite a presupposition there, but she said, since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage, end quote. Linda Gordon, not related to any of my in-laws, who was an esteemed professor, a historian, and a radical feminist, she said this, Quote, the nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objectively revolutionary process, end quote. She, by the way, was married and had one daughter, and so you've got to wonder how they actually felt about a statement like that. But I could go on and on and on with quote after quote. Some of them I can't even speak to you here because they call for the extinction of men in some very violent and graphic ways. High heels were not meant for what they want to do with them, okay? But there is just an endless line of people who are more than happy to help tie the noose in order to strangle and kill the concept of the family. And we should be able to say with some sort of certainty that they're becoming somewhat successful. There's this nonstop parade of homosexuality and gender confusion, rebellion, divorce, infidelity, women's liberation, uh, children's rights, abortion on demand, moral confusion, and so much more that we don't have time to name all the perversions and deviancies that are being pushed on the family as being right and true. And moms are no less a target individually as the family is corporately. Beginning in the 1970s, some of you may remember the Anjali perfume commercial, right? That told moms, you can bring home the bacon and you can fry it up in the pan and never let your husband forget he's a man. Remember that? They weren't just selling you perfume, okay? They were selling you the idea to a new generation of women that you no longer have to be trapped in your role as a homemaker and a wife and a mother and a domestic engineer. And you can have it all, including being a corporate executive by day and a mother and wife by night. All you need is their magic eight-hour perfume to get you through. A little more recently, some articles have been uh, written by a women or asking that women should marry older men first in their first marriage, have you? And then, in their 40s, look for a younger man so that they can still have all that fire and passion and zeal in their love life, and then also, hopefully, outlive the men, because men typically die at an early age. That way they don't have to ever bury a husband. Another actress with, uh, within the last year, she advocated for three marriages. She said, you should have one for your passionate, youthful years. Then you should have another one during your 40s for your stable income-earning years. And then in your senior adult years, you should find another one just for companionship. So much for all that training you invest in your men, ladies, right? Because marriage ultimately is all about you. It's all about your happiness. It's all about your needs, and you need to adapt with a spouse that is tailored to fit you as you go through your various seasons in life. 
And just last week, there was a new movie trailer that came out about moms. And the whole plot of this movie is about three moms who absolutely just get fed up with being a mom. And so they have this breakdown, and they engage in open rebellion to their husbands. They they glorify drunkenness. They rebel against the responsibilities for their family. They glorify homosexuality. They glorify hypersexuality. And all the while, the movie critics are just gleaming over this movie, and they can't believe how fresh and funny all of this really is. As I said to you in times past, movies are not just about entertainment. Movies aren't made just to give you a laugh. They have an agenda. They're attempting to push a worldview upon you. And their worldview is antithetical to the Christian worldview, and it is certainly antithetical to what God calls moms to do. But women are constantly bombarded through the media about how you can have a fantasy life, and it's all designed by Satan to produce discontent in your marriage, discontent with your husband, discontent with your children, and discontent with your life. Now, the church really hasn't just simply witnessed all this, and they've stood by passively. There's been a number of parachurch organizations that have sprouted up, dedicated to the protection and cultivation of the marriage and family within the last 20 years or so. Books are lining the Christian bookstores by the hundreds on marriage and family. Family conferences are all over the United States. Marriage retreats all over this country. And even the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary has a Center for Christian Family Ministry that has been dedicated to helping families through the local church. And why is that? It is because the church, by and large, still believes that the family is the heart and soul of society. It is the heart and soul of society because it is defined by God in His Word. And His Word says that within God's design, that there be a father and a mother. Genesis 2.24 says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's a, a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman cleaving to one another in one flesh union for life. And through that union, as they fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply, they then become image bearers of God by showing the world how in that covenantal relationship with one another, God does so relate with his covenant people in love and faithfulness. So there's no seasonal partners There's no polygamy, there's no polyamory, and that word may be new to some of you, but polyamory just means a a multitude of spouses and the number and the sex and the gender does not matter. That's polyamory. It's coming. Nor is there individual autonomy, but there is the unity within the diversity of one man, one woman, covenanting together for eternity. The family is God's idea. And the family was created for His glory. And so our text today, it really makes that assertion through Solomon. That there is a family and that is indeed God's idea. Now we're not going to go 7, 8, 9 just as we normally do. So I'll be going back and forth, but I want you to follow with me. And we see that that the family is God's idea right there in verse 8 when it says, Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, the implication is very clear that there is a father and a mother, and they have obeyed God's command by being fruitful and multiplying, and in this case, they have a son. 
And so what is it exactly that a mother should do? This is Mother's Day, right? I mean, those in the world would have you believe that motherhood is slavery. Motherhood is oppressive and that it is confining you as a person. But what is the number one priority of a mom in our day and age? Is it herself? No, it's not. With all the things that the world has to offer moms, it might get a little confusing as to what your ultimate priority is. But God's Word isn't confused about such things. In fact, we see it in verse 8 once again when it says, Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Your mother's teaching. So the primary goal in the life of a mother is to be a teacher of her children. Now, there are many things that children seem to learn naturally, right? They, they seem to fuss when they're hungry, right? They know how to cover their eyes from bright lights, and they, they know how to cover their ears from loud noises. They typically roll over on their own. You know, we don't have to teach them that. Usually start to engage their arms and their legs, and they start to crawl around a bit. Then they pull themselves up on a piece of furniture, and then they start to go on their legs on their own, right? And then they usually find their ways to those extension cords on their own. But unfortunately, they don't learn how to change their diapers on their own, right? But there are also a myriad of things that a mother can teach their children and that they don't necessarily learn naturally. Moms can teach their kids to to say their ABCs and to read. Moms can teach their kids how to talk and sing. Moms can teach their kids how to eat properly and do some basic hygiene. You can teach your kid how to color and paint. You can teach your kid how to ride a bike. And so there's like a million things that moms can and do teach their children. But what is the primary thing that mothers need to teach their children? What is absolutely foundational for you to be teaching your children as you have them for this brief period of time that is called childhood? The primary things that mothers need to teach their children is found in the previous verse. And that's in verse 7 when it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Verse 7 is the entire theme of the book of Proverbs. In fact, it's the big idea of the whole book. As you understand verse 7, the rest of the 31 chapters of Proverbs opens up to you. But the central thing or the predominant thing that should be dominating everything that you teach your children about life should be the fear of the Lord. Now, what does it mean? What does that mean to fear the Lord? What comes to your mind when you think to fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord? Do you think of hiding from some sort of angry tyrant? Are you thinking about hiding in a corner somewhere from someone who has frequent mood swings? Do you think about approaching someone that might actually put you in some imminent danger? Because when we hear the words, fear of the Lord, we typically think negatively of it. But in fact, it's just the opposite. It's it's actually fiercely positive. And what the fear of the Lord is this, the positive response of your heart to the greatness of God. You are just overwhelmed with the majesty of God, that that when you think about His greatness and His grandeur and His his glory of God, it causes your heart to be reverent and worship. And when you think about the holiness of God, it causes you to stand and wonder in awe of Him. Thomas Watson said that when you think of the fear of the Lord, you think that God is so great that you're afraid of displeasing Him, 
but that he is so good that you are afraid to lose him. Because that's what the fear, that's what the word fear means here in this verse. It means to revere. In other words, you show absolute, profound respect and high regard for one who is superiorly, vastly superior to you, namely the Lord. You are a person who takes God seriously. There is a weightiness to your relationship with God. And so I have to first ask you moms, what are your children learning from your example? Are you a God-fearing person yourself? You see, there used to be a time in our culture when it was actually a compliment to call someone a God-fearing person. And that simply meant that you were a godly person. But are you a God-fearing person yourself? Do they see someone who has submitted to God's will and His word? Or they see someone who's constantly frustrated and disappointed? Do they see someone resting comfortably in the sovereignty of God? Or do they see someone who's just full of worry and despair? Do they see someone who exudes righteousness and faithfulness and integrity? Or are you teaching them to be a cheat and a liar and a hypocrite? You see, it is absolutely necessary for you as a mom first to have the fear of the Lord in your life. In order for you to be able to teach your children the fear of the Lord, your life has to reflect that you have the fear of Him yourself. It doesn't matter if you're wearing the trendiest clothes, ladies. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect house. It doesn't matter if you have the nicest car on the block. It doesn't even matter if your hairdo is up to date. What matters is, do you fear God? Are you awestruck by him? When you think about him and you read about him in his word, do you, do you just worship in adoration and glory for who he is? Do you find yourself like Isaiah as you enter the, the throne and you see the, the glory of God upon you and the angels crying, holy, 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 does it cause you to fall down and worship and love for him? That's what it means. Are you awestruck by Christ? Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. But dads, this is by no means a solo endeavor. This instruction of your children does not solely reside on mom's shoulders. Because in verse 7, it tells us that children should also hear their father's Instruction. Do you teach your children that your life is in the Lord's hands? I mean, as you go throughout your day, do you even have conversations with your children about God? Do they see you as a man who is in the Word and who who takes knowing God absolutely seriously? When they hear you pray, do they hear someone who just recites a rote prayer? Or do they hear someone who is intimately acquainted with the throne of grace? Men, fathers, grandfathers. Is there even a time in your day when your children might stumble upon you and find you on your knees? If, you were able to, if we were able to examine your life and look at your soul, would we be able to see that you are a God-fearing person? You see, you will pass on absolutely nothing vital, nothing eternal, 
and no foundational spiritual knowledge to anyone without you first having the fear of the Lord yourself. And that includes mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers. But notice in our verse that it's not just concepts about God. It's not just a general understanding of God. It's not just God in the abstract, because in verse 7... It says there that the fear of the capital L-O-R-D, right? That means not Elohim, but Adonai. Not the general name for God, but the intimate, personal name of God. Do you know Him intimately? Because there is nothing more vital to your life and to your children's life for you to personally and intimately know the Lord. Anything that you teach of substance, anything you teach them of value, anything that's going to last a lifetime and the next will only be because you have a healthy, reverential, awestruck fear of God. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. You want your children to live in safety? You want your children to live confidently? You want your children to live this life beautifully? Then you teach them the fear of the Lord. You teach them the reverential awe of the glory of God. Because if you don't, verse 7 has a harsh word for them, and it says, they will become fools. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That is, they will reject God. It's being arrogant above instruction. They're just too good for God, right? They feel no weightiness or reverence for God. They will be the center of their universe, not God. And so the Bible calls them fools for rejecting the source of wisdom and knowledge, and that is namely God. And so for you children... And so for you young adults that are still at home, God's word in verse 8, it calls upon you to listen to your mother and father. Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now they may not do it perfectly because we're all growing in grace as we live, but you need to avoid the temptation to rebel. Listen to your parents. Don't write off what they're telling you. Listen, it is so important that you listen to your parents in the eyes of God that He put it in the Ten Commandments. And do you know where He put it? Right after He got done talking about how we are to relate to Him. Those first four, that's all vertically to Him. But then the last six are horizontally how we relate to each other. And so, do you know where He put that before you should not murder? Do you know where he put that right before you should not steal? Do you know where he put that when he said you shall not lie? He put that you should honor your father and your mother. And that means you listen respectfully when your dad speaks to you. And that, remember, that means that you remember that you, what your mom tells you about making good choices. That means you hear it and you heed it. And when you go out to this great big wide world out there and when you live... You don't neglect what your father and mother taught you when there's no one else watching you except God. But moms, more than likely, a majority of this duty, it it so often falls upon your shoulders in most circumstances. Not all, but most. And in fact, we have a prime example of this 
in 2 Timothy, and it's not 2 Timothy, okay? It's 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his true child of the faith, and he shows us the effect of a godly mother and a godly grandmother who have taught him the fear of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1.5, it says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And then in 2 Timothy 3.14 and 15, he writes, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them from, right? Mom and grandma. And from, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so what you see here, what Paul is showing us in these verses is a, a pair of moms who understood what their absolute priority was. Now, Timothy's father is not mentioned in this text, but we know from Acts 6.1 that he was a Greek, right? But his mom was a Jew. And there is an implication that we see here in Scripture. It, it kind of has the idea that Tim, uh, Timothy's father may have already died. But nonetheless, we see very clearly that Lois taught her daughter Eunice. And then Eunice taught her son Timothy. And they filled him with the Scriptures to such an extent that eventually Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy is going to live forever because his mom and his grandmom were able to faithfully teach him the fear of the Lord. Will you be able to have that same testimony? If someone were to write your obituary, and somebody will someday, will they be able to write that you were a man or woman who feared the Lord and you taught your children the same? Because Lois and Eunice here, they've lived out Proverbs 1, and 7, 1, 7, and 8. They get to enjoy Proverbs 9, which says, Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head, and ornaments about your neck. In other words, what this is saying is that teaching your children to fear the Lord will be like being adorned with gifts and prizes around your neck. It's like when you take that 12-hour flight to Hawaii, if you've ever been there, right? And when you get off the plane, you land, and they come up to you, and they place that lay around your neck, the flowers, and they say, aloha, right? And it's like a little confirmation that you finally made it all the way to the island. You finally arrived. Or it's like standing on the podium after you've ran a race or whatever, and you've won this competition, and you get up on the podium, and you've won the gold medal, and they take that medal, and they drape it over you because you ran the race in such a way that you won the prize. But this would be far greater. This would be a deep and profound satisfaction with your children that they are drinking from the fountain of life. It would be your deepest joy and your greatest delight in knowing that your children are walking in the ways of the Lord. This is what John wrote about in 3 John 1.4 when he says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And so moms, dads, childrens, mom and dads-to-be, grandparents, do you fear the Lord this morning? Are you awestruck by the beauty of His holiness? Is your heart captivated by His grace? 
As you think about your priorities and your time and the attentions in which you try to direct your children to, how much of it is committed to teaching them the fear of the Lord? Teaching them the fear of the Lord is not an instantaneous download. It is a lifelong pursuit. You have one of the greatest privileges given to you on earth. You have one of the highest and one of the most noblest of callings placed on anyone, and that is to teach your children the fear of the Lord. May we, by the grace of God, be doubly committed to living and teaching the reverence, the wonder, and the fear of our great God. Let's pray. Father, as we examine our hearts, as we've heard your word, we admit that we fall woefully short, myself included. Lord, let us be committed to living in the fear of the Lord, in reverential awe of you, and being committed to teaching our children as such. It begins first with us and with our hearts. So, Lord, rend our hearts. Let this be true of us that we would be known as a person who fears the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let it nourish our souls this week. Let us have the proud confidence that we walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. In the past, we have brought the moms up front. So today we're actually.